I like to stick to one passage of Scripture and preach out of it. But in chatting to Mark, uh, it's chatting how we prepare and just chatting about what we do in that. Um, I, I, I said to him, that's all I do. And I'm going against my, my word. Because I really feel that this is not a word that you're going to go away thinking, okay, I know more about the book of Romans. Or I know more about a certain subject. I really feel that God's drawn a few stories and a few points out of a couple of preachers that I felt God could be calling me to preach to you guys. And I feel they're prophetic pictures for where God's going to take you guys. I don't come here as Prophet Craig. Uh, This is scary for me to stand out and say this, but I really believe it's God. So um, if it doesn't make sense, it's fine. Take it. If you remember one thing about it, take that, write it down, pray about it, ask God to reveal more to you. If you remember everything, that's great. If God highlights one aspect, just just focus on that. And and if it doesn't make sense, just go go home and... Say, God help that man. But before we start, I want to share three stories with you. At, and I, I want these pictures just to be in your head as we go forward into the, into the preach. And uh, they'll make sense a little, bit, a little bit more if they don't make sense now. But the first is this picture that you see in the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a picture of, of where we find ourselves in church history. And uh, I want to just make sure that we're all okay with understanding that Jesus has come, He's died for our sins, He's risen again, and He's at the right hand of the Father. Are we okay with that? So we've had the first coming. And we understand through prophecy, through promises, through what Jesus has told us, that He's coming again. That there's going to be a second coming. So we can agree that the first coming and the second coming are, are there. And in between, we find ourselves trying to figure out church. We find ourselves in an era in church history called the Gospel Age. We find a place where Paul was there, the church in Acts was there, we there, Smith Wigglesworth was there. Everyone is in this age in between the first coming of Christ, looking forward to the second coming and saying, what do we need to do to prepare for that? So we find ourselves in the Gospel Age. And uh, why do I share that picture with you? Is because I feel the question that I want to ask you guys tonight is, what testimony will this church carry? When you read the beginning of Revelation, it's about Jesus walking through these seven lampstands and He says certain things about certain about seven different churches. And uh, if, you, if you've ever read it, you'll understand that some of them are quite disturbing and I forget what the church is, but He says to the one church, you have neglected your first love. And then He praises another church of, of how great they have, um, uh, how, how much perseverance they've had through trial And he says a lot of things about these seven different churches. And I want to ask, if Jesus had to write a letter to this church, what would be the testimony that this church carries? And hopefully these these aspects will tie into this this question of what testimony will this church carry. The second uh, picture is Joel 3 verse 9 to 10. And it says this, verse 9 to 10. It says this, Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowsheds into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. 
Let the weak say, I am a warrior. And it's this picture of a bunch of farmers being empowered by God to take what they had, the very things that were in their hands, and God transformed them into warriors. God took what they had, plows, they had shears, they had farming implements, and by the power of God, they were transformed into weapons in order to fight. And I really believe that um, as we look at these things, as, as, as we go through this message, that God wants to take what you have in your hands, He wants to empower you with the Holy Spirit to turn you into warriors. He doesn't want to give you more weapons. He doesn't want to give you a new sword. He wants to take your plow and turn it into a sword. He wants to take how you are created and turn that into a weapon of warfare. The third story, the third picture is this. It's a story about a housewife who is busy doing the dishes one afternoon. She's sitting there with her gloves on, busy look after her hands, busy doing the dishes, and she looks out out of a window onto the lawn and she sees a big German shepherd rolling around in the grass and she's oh, so nice, having fun, carries on and looks up and suddenly realizes this German shepherd's got something white in its mouth. And suddenly she clicks. The neighbors have a white rabbit. Now this woman's had a bit of issues with the neighbors. They're not the best friends. The dog barks. The neighbors play loud music. So they're on a bit of rough terms. So she's like, how do I explain this to them? How do I tell the neighbors that our dog has eaten their rabbit? So she does what she knows and she grabs the broom. She goes running out. She, she waves this broom in the air and she says to scare this dog so this dog will drop the rabbit. And uh, she gets there and this thing looks very mangled. She quickly runs inside with the hairdryer, dries the slobber off, tries to puff this rabbit up as best as she can. And uh, she goes outside and very quickly just grabs the fence, jumps over, lays the rabbit in the coop, makes it look alive, jumps back over, carries on washing the dishes, acts like nothing's happened. Further on in the day, that afternoon she's sitting and she just hears this blood-curdling scream. And she figures out, what is going on? She realizes it's the wife. The wife's got home and she's just freaking out now. So she says, now's my time to act like I know nothing. So she goes off like a very concerned neighbor over, what's happened, ma'am? Is everything okay? The woman freaks out and says, no, two weeks ago a rabbit died and now it's alive again in the coop. <laughs> so I wanted that to be a picture of and I I'm glad you laughed at that because what I say you might not laugh at. But I want that for me as I've traveled around the world, as I've looked at the church, as, I've, as I'm able to be on an eldership in a church, I find so many Christians are like fluffed up rabbits. They're dead on the inside, but they look alive. That we just go through church, we go to meetings, we do what we're supposed to do, but we're just dead on the inside, but we look alive. And I know one thing, that the Word of God is holy. The Word of God is full of life. Our relationships are not supposed to be dead. And if we respond to God, there will be life. If we respond to what He is saying in His Word, it will produce life. And I'm trusting that tonight, we won't just be fluffed up rabbits when we leave. 
that look alive, but we're dead inside. I'm trusting that there will be life, that there will be hope. And I love the pictures, the prophetic words. Uh, I feel like some of my points have already been shared, but I'm still going to share them. So it's just God repeating something. So take notes of that. When you repeat something, you generally want to focus and, uh, and take notes. So those three pictures, the gospel age we find ourselves in, this, this, this turning the ordinary into extraordinary, turning our ordinary lives into, into weapons of war, and then fluffed up rabbits. Those are the three things I want you, want you to keep in your mind. And as we go into the rest, uh, I want you just to translate it to that and apply it to these situations. So before we go, let's just pray. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that I will do my best to preach the Word and share what I feel You've given me, Father. But I pray that Your Holy Spirit will come right now, Lord Jesus. You'll anoint my words, You'll anoint hearts, Lord God, and that this Word will bear fruits, Father. That men and women, yeah, Lord God, will realize that we have a plan and purpose within You, Father. That You've called us, that You're calling us out to not just exist, Lord God, but to count for your kingdom, Father. Come be with us, Holy Spirit. Come challenge our hearts. Come light a fire under us. Come stir fire in our bellies, Lord God, as we look at your word, Father. We love you, our King. Amen. So back to my question. What test me will this church carry? And I believe that these are things that you might think as a church we've got these tied down. But if, as I look at this church, and I love this church, it's a church I, I pray about, I, I, I think about, I communicate as much as I can over 11 hours difference. But it's a church that I, that I love. And I feel that these are things that God, characteristics, if I had to say, what testimony will this church have? I feel these characteristics are what this church is going to carry into the future. They might be starting off now, but there will be greater characteristics into the future as people reference this church. And the first one is I feel that men and women in this church will have a gift of grace to be who God has created them to be. God will give this church a gift of grace so people can be who God has created them to be. You might think that is very simple. Romans 13, you see... Sorry, I lie. Romans 12. You see this, this Romans 12, verse uh, 3 to 8. You see the, the, the heading in the ESV. I read the ESV. Um, it's the proper English version. The American one's not, and I'm joking. It's just, <laughs> we associate more to England than we do to America and South Africa. So that's the one that I read. But in the heading of this is, is, this, is this gift of grace. And Paul's writing to the church in, in Rome and telling them that, there's this gift of grace that God gives us to be ourselves. And why I say that is because He uses this analogy of the body. And if you know anything about the New Testament, this is not the first time it's come up. Is Paul's written about the body before, and to a different church, he said, look at this body analogy, understand it, and apply it to your life. And I feel that God is creating a men and woman in this church who understand their role and they understand God has given us grace to be ourselves. He won't have grace to be someone else. You cannot be Mark. You cannot be Craig. You cannot be anyone else in this church. God has given you grace 
to be who you have been created to be. And uh, if you think about a body, the hand doesn't wake up one day and say, I want to be a foot. There'll be chaos. And the heart doesn't just stop and say, I'm sick and tired of just pumping blood. I want to, I want to be a lung. Or, well, body dead. It's biology, something I learned a little bit of at school. But I, I, I think there's too many people in churches and too many Christians existing trying to be something that they're not. What I want to say to you today is, I might get passionate. I might shout. I'm not angry with you. I love you dearly. I know I've got a red beard and I might look angry. But I'm just sick and tired of the enemy deceiving people and making them dissatisfied with who God has created them to be. This church, if you want this church to grow and impact Erie and impact Colorado and impact the US and impact the world, this church, Mark and Cara and the eldership, Cara and the eldership, need you to be who God has created you to be and exist in this local church and be that. Because if you're not, you're leaving a gap. And if you call this place home, if you say, I'm a member of this church, and you're not contributing, you're not living out your Christianity, you're not bearing fruit, you're not doing what God's created you to do, I hope this doesn't offend you, but you're a cancer. You're just drawing life out of people. God has called us to exist. God has called us to be part of. God has called us to be a body, to operate and work and function and do things and go places and change communities and change cities. I'm sorry if you're getting offended. Like I said, I love you. But I want this church to be known as a church where men and women are secure in who God has created created them to be and they're doing that. They're not just secure, they're secure and they're doing. The next thing, the next characteristic of a, of a, of, of, I feel the testing that God's gonna call you guys into, and it's something that Mark referenced, and, uh, it's this thing of men and women that are devoted. Men and women that are devoted. Not devoted to football. Not devoted to good food. Not devoted to good music. Not devoted to Christian mugs or Christian cards or whatever it is devoted to the apostles teaching which is the Bible devoted to fellowship which is building community devoted to breaking of bread which is a living body breaking of bread yes it represents communion as we know it but it represents the body being the body it's not just eating the body of Christ that the bread that represents Christ and drinking the blood that what happens in communion, around communion, it's the body ministering to each other. It's not just Mark being the guy who can just, you know, the Holy Spirit flows and that's great and, and he's the man who's got the power for the hour, but it's actually the body ministering to each other. It's the body existing. Devoted to that, and the fourth thing is devoted to prayer. I had the privilege of, of sharing with 
a few potential leaders with Steve Crowder's church in Boulder. So Mark's going to hear this again. But it was almost as I was sharing with them, I was wrestling with what God wanted me to share with you guys. And God just suddenly secured things in my heart. And this was one of them. Is Mark asked me what, I, what kind of books I'm reading. And one of them is by a guy called Martin Lloyd-Jones. And it's called this. It's, it's called Spiritual Depression. Now as soon as you say that, people get concerned. Because why is a pastor reading a book about spiritual depression? There's an issue there. But it's not about depression as we know it. It's basically saying that lack of prayer causes spiritual depression. Men and women who don't pray will become spiritually depressed. And I feel as a community, if we don't devote ourselves to prayer, we will become depressed. We will be disillusioned. We won't know what God's saying. We won't know where we're going. We'll lose hope. We'll lose faith. That's what prayer is supposed to do. It's supposed to bring us together. It's supposed to build up faith. It's supposed to inspire us. So the first one is you'll be a people that will have the gift of grace to be who God has created you to be. The second one is you'll be a people devoted to Acts 2 verse 42. The fourth one, I'm sorry, the third one is love and honor will define your community. Love and honor will define your community. You see, the great commandment wasn't just a great thing that came up. It was Jesus speaking to the church in Matthew 22, verse 25, uh, 24. Let's read that. If you don't know it off by heart, I'm not going to show off and think I do, because I will misquote it and I don't want to. So Matthew 22, verse uh, 34, it says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees and gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which of these is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love and honor will define your community. You see, friends, this is not just a love that Jesus is speaking about of on Valentine's Day you just send someone a bunch of flowers because you love them. Or it's not just a love that makes you tolerate your neighbor because you have to. And when you're there, you just smile at them. No, this love is all-consuming. This love changes everything about you. It says like Christ loved the church. Do you understand that? I don't think I understand it fully. I don't think I can comprehend it as much. I love my wife. I love people. But I don't know if I could ever give my son to someone else. But Christ loved us so much. He laid his life down for us. And when it says there that the greatest commandment is to love God and love His church, I mean love God and love people, I don't think we understand what kind of love He's demanding from us. And I feel that it's a love that this, this world has never seen before. It's not emotional love. It's not this flattery love. It's a, it's a, it's a love that you will sacrifice. That you will lay down your life. Whatever that means. 
that you'll pray for them, that you will you'll carry their burdens in your heart strongly and deeply. It's making sure God is first. And from that place, you're able to minister to everyone. And I really feel that honor is something that's missing in this world right now. We will honor gifts. We will honor great people. But we won't honor people that God has created. You see, we want people to do something and be something before we honor them. So if we're able to love people and honor them before they've done anything, it's going to speak going to speak more than any sermon, than any gift. When people feel loved and honored by this community, it will draw them in. It will draw them closer. The next thing is I feel that you are going to become a, 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 a community of faithful men and women as well as men and women of faith. You'll be faithful and you'll be full of faith. I separate them purposely because they, I, I want to look at what faithfulness looks like. But in, in, in Revelation to the seven churches, there's this, 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 this phrase that comes up over and over and over again is it's patiently enduring. John says to these different churches, you patiently endured. You patiently endured. I feel that's faith. No matter what this world throws at you, no matter what you're going through, you patiently endured because you have faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith in a world system, not faith in 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 the five steps to a greater life that Mark might give you? No. You have faith in Jesus Christ. You have faith in the gospel. And that causes you to patiently endure. Consistency. How many consistent people do you know? I know I strive to be more consistent. But often we led by our desires and our emotions too much. But I feel God's calling this community to faithfully endure. To have faith in Christ Jesus no matter what. And then the next thing is if you can turn to 2 Timothy 3 verse 6. Sorry, 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 to 6. And uh, after it's Paul writing to Timothy and uh, he's Telling him to remain faithful to these things. In 2 Timothy 1, he, he tells him a whole bunch. And then it comes up to 2 Timothy 2 and he says, he says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. And what you have heard from me in the presence of of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. She got calling us. Paul was putting a, a demand on Timothy to say, 
you have been faithful, now go find faithful men and women. Because God can entrust you with something. And as we remain faithful, God can entrust you with more. And as we raise up disciples, as we become more like Christ, we remain faithful to the gospel so we can be entrusted with more. And it says this in uh, verse 3 of that, and it carries on and says, Share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since he aims to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And we see there's these, these three distinct pictures when Paul's speaking about faithfulness to Timothy. The one of the soldier of the athlete and the farmer. And I, I have um, on my computer, I've got a file that, uh, that, that is sort of my journaling with God and, and what God's saying to me in that. And I put it up into these categories of a farmer, of an athlete, and of a soldier. Because I feel that there are pictures that God's given me that that's what He's called us to be. And I want to just look at them quickly. Of a, of a good soldier, it says there um, in verse 3 of chapter 2, it says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. No soldier, uh, sorry, gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You see, a soldier knows what their job is. They know that they have retrieved, that they have received every bit of training they need. So when the, if their commander says, go do this, or if the orders are, go do that, they don't question and say, we can't. I'm not able to. They know that they have received every bit of training up until that point to do anything that they're called to do. And that's what, that's what God wants. Men and women who know that as the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are equipped to do everything He has called you to do. You don't need to go through five million years of Bible school. That is good. But the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we remain faithful to that. Whatever He calls us to, we've got the gospel. That is what we need. That is what we need to be faithful. That's what we need to be a good soldier, is the gospel. Everything else is a bonus. If you have a prophetic gift, if you're able to teach, if you're able to do all these things, those are bonuses. But you've got the gospel. The gospel is the, the main weapon that we have. And uh, again, it ties into this thing. If you turn to Matthew 8, verse 5 to 13, it says this. It's the, it's the centurion when Jesus is speaking to the centurion. I'm not going to read it. But uh, the one thing that defines the centurion, and Jesus looks at him and he says, because of your faith, you can receive Christ. You can inherit the kingdom. You see, Jesus saw something that was inside of that centurion, inside of that soldier, was faith. Because he knew how to take a command. He knew how to be under authority. He knew that his, whoever was above him, I don't know army talk, I don't know army lingo, but whoever was above him had faith in him to do whatever he's been called to do. 
So do we have faith in who's called us? Do we have faith in what God has given us? Jesus has called us to be disciples of every nation. It's a great command, great commission. Do we have faith in that? The second thing is this athlete. And uh, it says this in verse 5 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. It says, An athlete is crowned and uh, is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Do we understand what God's called us to? Do we understand the kingdom of God? And I want to take that picture of the athlete one step further. And it says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 6 to 16... It speaks, and Paul uses the analogy of a, of a, of a, uh, uh, of a guy who works out his body, much like Mark, not me. But he says, physical exercise is of some value, but it's more important for us to focus on the kingdom of God. And I'm paraphrasing. You see, an athlete has one goal in mind. If you take Usain Bolt as the example, he's got one goal in mind. And that is to run the 100 meters in, in, in Brazil. His whole life is devoted around that one thing. Everything he does, when he wakes up, how he trains, how he eats, what he does, what he doesn't do, is devoted around this one thing about running the 100 meters the fastest I can get the gold medal. So as Christians, we have one goal. The second coming. We understand the first coming. We understand that Jesus has died for us. That, he's raised us from the, that He was raised from the dead. That He's at the right hand of the Father. That He's interceding for us. But we find ourselves in the gospel age looking forward to that one opportunity when God comes back. Have we lived our lives worthy to go to heaven? And have we Share the gospel with everyone. That second coming needs to be a motivation and needs to scare us. It needs to motivate us to get as many people as we can saved. It needs to scare us because there's still lots of people that need to be saved. You see, the thing about Usain Bolt is he's devoted to this one thing. Are we devoted to the gospel? Are we devoted athletes? Is everything about your life revolving around the gospel or is it a thing you just add on? Just add on the gospel. God's calling us to be devoted. Devoted to the gospel. Yes, I said devoted to other things. But at the forefront of everything, we need to be devoted to the gospel. From the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, even when we dream, we're dreaming about how we're going to impact this gospel. And you might say to me, yes, but you're full-time employed by the church and that, so you have to say this. No, God's not calling us all to be full-time in the ministry. God's calling us to be who we are. And there, He wants us to be devoted. The next thing is a hard-working farmer, and it says this. It is a, in, uh, chapter, in verse 6 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, it says this. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And uh, I don't know anything about farming, as far as I'm concerned, the fruit grows in the supermarket and it appears there and that's where I get it from. I don't have to wait for it to grow. But as I've looked at this thing of the farm, I realize they have a vision that we don't have. 
especially myself growing up in this in this world and in, with McDonald's and drive through this and drive through that and you can Google it and you'll get the result instantly is we want results now. But there's a principle that you find in the Bible that we neglect. And uh, in James four, in James five, verse seven to twelve, you you see this thing about. Oh, let me let me go there. James five, verse seven to twelve. And it's a, it says this: Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for his precious fruit uh, on the earth, being patient about it until it re- until until it receives. The, uh, the early and the late rains. Be patient, therefore, brothers. There's this thing about patience that we've lost. That God has a process. And too often we want the end results. Too often we want to be there and we totally neglect God's process. We totally neglect that we need to become patient people. We need to understand that God has a process for everything. He has a process for you. He has a process in, in building this church. He has a process of creating this community. And we need to be patient to that. We need to have faith as we plant the seeds, God will water them. We're not building the church. Jesus is building His church. We just have to plant. Some will water. But God will get the glory at the end of the day. We need to be patient to what God has called us to do. We can't run ahead. I don't think a farmer plants seeds and then the next day goes there to see if, if the fruit's grown. We need to be patient. We need to be aware of God's process. And we need to honor God's process. We need to, it's not an excuse. We need to carry on being hardworking. We have to have long-term, uh, long-term vision, but we must be faithful and be patient to God's process. So I hope you understand those three pictures. There's more that you can unpack in them. But just to, to recap them, the first one is God is uh, that God is raising up to be a people that have a gift of grace to be who God has created you to be. You're men and women who are devoted and live devoted lifestyles. Love and honor defines your community. You're faithful and you have faith. And the fourth thing is there's going to be greater power. There's going to be a greater power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as soon as I say that, everyone's going to think that is awesome. We're going to have people flying through chairs, putting their heads through walls, clucking like chickens, going nuts. It's just going to be this like, like over, over the top Holy Spirit experience. It's not. Acts 1 verse 8. It says this. forgot where X is. Acts 1 verse 8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Everyone stops there and says, that's, that's awesome. But it carries on and says this. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You see, everyone thinks that this power is just to perform miracles. Yes, it is. But there's three areas for me that I feel that this power is going to become uh, relevant for us as, and for you guys as a community. The first one is in Galatians 5 verse 16. 
This thing of living by the Spirit. Living out our Christianity. The power that God gives us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit is to become more like Christ. Yes, He will give us gifts. That's the second thing. Is 1 Corinthians 12. The gifts will be evident. There will be signs. There will be wonders. There will be healings. There will be prophecy. Those things will be evident. I want us, and I want you guys to be a, a community that desires those things. But the same as the first one is keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, living out of Christian, Christianity, as well as the gifts. Both of them need to point to Jesus and not ourselves. Both of those are to build up the body. Both of those opportunities, as we are becoming more Christ-like and the fruits of the Spirit are evident, we're able to point to Jesus and say, you get all the glory. Because sanctification is happening in my life. And when someone is healed, when the prophecy comes, when an arm grows, when, when cancer is removed, when these things happen, you don't say, let's form a queue here because we have it. Impact Rocks has the anointing now. Revival's coming to Erie. Yes, it might. But it's your opportunity to point to Jesus and say, all the glory goes to God. And the third area where we're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit poured out is in, in, we see it in Ephesians 6 verse 12 is that, is, is, and I feel it's referring to worship. And it's a prophetic word that I think Matthew Doty might have referenced or might have said when he was here and it stuck with me ever since and I have not been able to get it out of my mind that your worship is going to be more anointed than you've never seen before. That as men and women lead in worship, the Holy Spirit is going to impact people. People are going to get saved. People are going to get transformed. People are going to be, be impacted by the Holy Spirit from the word go. From that first song. It's not too fast songs. Let's get us into the Holy Spirit. Let's warm us up. And then we play that great Holy Spirit song in, in key E or whatever it is. With a little bit of piano. And then the Holy Spirit appears. No. From the word go. As we are men and women coming to worship God. Not just the band. It's nothing about music. It's about a heart. It's about a heart that as a community we carry. Where we are devoted to Jesus Christ. And as we come here together to worship our King, to sing songs that help us focus on Him, the Holy Spirit will be here. And we're going to start, I feel there's going to be times when you're not even going to get to the Word. Mark's going to be very upset because he's not going to be able to preach. But people are still going to be saved. People are still going to be attracted to your meetings. They're not going to be weird, wonderful, and out of control. But if God does that, we give Him the glory. If God does that, it's a demonstration of, of how great He is and how much He wants to impact you. You guys okay with that? You see, there's this dilemma that we find. And I think it's, it's, what was that? That was number four. I think there's number five. It's a footnote that I combined one and added another one. Is God is calling us to be a conquerous people. God is calling us to be a conquerous people. I don't know if conquerous is a word. Is it? I don't know, but now it is. But I really feel in, in Revelations 12 verse 11, it says, They overcame... Him, by the word, I'm going to paraphrase again, I'm going to forget it because I've got so much going through my mind. Yes, 12 verse 11. 
And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love their for they love their lives even until death. I feel we are going to become men and women, and this community is going to be known as a church who conquer the enemy, that are victorious, that live lives of victory, not because you have the five steps to better lives, but because the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, the gospel and the gospel through us. We understand the gospel and we understand the gospel through us. So we carry a testimony of conquering. We need to understand that we're not, we're not mustn't pander to the enemy. Yes, the enemy is there. We understand he's there. Through revelation, you see this enemy. You're aware of the enemy. The enemy is prowling around like a, like a lion. He's not just a little devil on your shoulder. But we're not pander to that. We know that we have conquered by the blood of the Lamb. That's where the conquering comes. And then salvation through us carries the testimony of God's greatness. So going back to my question of what testimony will this church carry as I feel those things, those five things is the testimony that God will that God's going to give you into the future. And uh, I want to leave you with these three things. Is in Romans 13, verse 11 to 14. Uh, up until Romans 11, God has been, uh, Paul has been, Paul. Jesus, Paul. I'm thinking Revelation and Romans. In Romans 13, up until then, up until Romans 11, Paul has been writing to the Roman church, explaining salvation, giving them a very theological explanation of it, and helping them understand it, and Assuming everyone knows nothing and, and really just bringing it back down to the bare minimum and building it up into the whole picture of salvation. But he says these two things. And I want you to turn to Romans 13, verse 11 to 14. And it says this. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is near to us now. And when we first believed, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on our armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or, je or jealousy, but put on, the, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And Paul says, as he's closing off with, with, the, with the church in Rome, in, in, in Rome, he says these two things. Understand the times you're living in and make sure that Christianity bears fruit so it can lead to right living. And there's three things I want to leave with you guys. One, understand the times we live in. We're living in the gospel age that God is demanding us and the only way this world's going to get saved is with the gospel. And two, our lives have to have results if we're calling ourselves Christians. Christianity has to live, has to lead to right living. There has to be fruit that we can point to. And the third thing is in 2 Timothy 2 verse 7. At the end of Paul's teaching, he says, he says this to Timothy. He says, think over all what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And I feel as, 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 as a community, as elders, as leaders, as deacons, as, uh, 
as you might think about what tested me, as you might think what I say might have truth or might not. I want to pray. If you guys can all just stand up and lift your hands. I want to pray for these three things. That we'll be a people that don't stick our heads in the sand hoping that the times will change. But we will understand the times we're living in. Our lives will lead to right living as we become more like Christ. And that we will bring everything to God so He can give us all understanding in everything.